The truth of this whole thing, right, everything that we're doing, we're in this series called Legacy and this, this uh, feature presentation series, all this stuff that we're after is because we really desire to be a church that's not just for the church. Like when we started One Chapel in 2010, we didn't plan for One Chapel to be a church for church people. We wanted it to be a church where it's important for all of us to be here, but where we reach out beyond the four walls of this church into the culture that we live in where we fulfill the words of Jesus when he said, go into all the world and make disciples of everybody. So that's what we're after. And we want everybody that comes to one chapel to experience four things. We want them to experience God, when they have an experience, an encounter with him, and start a relationship with him, and develop an intimate devotion with him. Then after that, we want people to find freedom. We want people to experience the freedom that only Jesus can bring. We all get baggage. We all get stuff that happens to us through the years. And so we want to find freedom from that stuff, primarily for us, that happens in groups where we know one another and we kind of let some of those secrets out in trust. Um, Then we want people to discover purpose, so to figure out who they really are and the unique ways that God made them. And then we want them to be able to then take those gifts and make a difference. Make a difference here and serve in Team One, make a difference out there and serve around, make a difference in the nations of the world, going on missions, all those things. We want everybody to experience that journey with us. The reason that One Chapel exists is because we want to make a difference for eternity. And you do too. Really deep down, if you think about it, you want the same thing, right? You, you want your life to matter, and it does. You want your life to be significant, and it is. And we want to go on this journey together to figure out how to leave a, a positive legacy behind when we're done here. I heard a story this week about a rich man who fell deathly ill. He was very sick. He didn't have much longer to live. But he was very rich. He'd spent most of his life working hard and amassing a lot of wealth. And so he didn't want to leave it behind. So he started praying, oh God, please, just, I know that I'm about done here, but would you please just let me take some, just let me take something with me. I don't want to leave it all behind. And so an angel appeared one night in front of his bed, appeared and said, yeah, hey, we heard the prayers. Listen, it doesn't really work that way. I know, I know it doesn't really work that way, but would you just... Just, 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 just go ask. Would you please go ask and find out? By the way, this is terrible theology. So uh, go and ask uh, and, and just see what you can do. So the angel says, okay. So the angel leaves. He's gone for a while. A few nights later, he comes back and he appears right before the bed. <laughs> appears. And they always say, do not be afraid. So he said that. And then he said, all right, well, I took it up the chain there. And um, they, said, they said, yeah, you, you, can, you can take. You get one suitcase. You can take one suitcase with you when you go. Oh, that's so great. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Thank you. So he got all this stuff together. He got, he got to put in a bunch of gold bars and he put gold bars and he put them in a suitcase, filled the suitcase with gold bars and put it beside his bed. And he laid down and shortly thereafter, sadly, he passed. So he ended up walking up to the gates, walked up to the gates of heaven. St. Peter was there and Peter said, oh, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. Oh, hey, sorry. You're not allowed to bring anything with you. And he said, no, 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 no. If you'll just go check, you'll find that I'm okay. I'm cleared. And so St. Peter went, and he went to check it out, and he came back a few minutes later and said, you're right, you are allowed, one carry-on. And so he took that, and he said, but, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to open that up because I'm going to have to inspect it before you come in, you understand. So he said, yeah, yeah, totally, I understand. So St. Peter, he unzipped the suitcase, and he opened it up, and he looked inside, and he said, you brought pavement? <laughs> there it is, there it is. I'm sorry, I'm 42 years old, I have three children, and I tell dad jokes. That's what I do. But I like this story because it kind of illustrates the idea of today. It doesn't always look like or seem like what you think it is. And all the things that we think are really important in life maybe aren't necessarily. 
So we're journeying through this series called Legacy, and we're trying to figure out how to leave that behind, how to leave something great behind. Because the truth is, you're going to leave one. Like it or not, good or bad, you're going to leave a legacy behind when you go. So what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? When people 10, 20 years after you're finished here on the earth, when your name comes up in conversation, what are people going to say about you? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever just wondered? Well, here's the thing that we're trying to figure out. How can we live now in such a way that that will be an incredible story that people will tell of the significant life that you lived, of the difference that you made for eternity in the lives of other people? We're working from this definition of legacy. It's something such as a tradition or a problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past or something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. You and I are going to leave a legacy. And today, I want to help motivate you towards that end, towards leading and leaving a great legacy behind. So I'm going to talk to you about this motivation that the Bible uses, and it really uses this one motivation over and over again for us. It's not just the motivation for radical generosity, and it's not just the motivation that, that makes Christianity different from every other religion, motivating us to, to serve the poor and to help the needy and to build orphanages and take care of widows and orphans and to do all that kind of work. It's not just that, but once you embrace this motivation, it changes how you live your life on the earth. And it doesn't just change how you live, but it also solves a bunch of the problems that you and I face. The reality is, what we're going to talk about today is the solution to what a bunch of you are struggling with today. It's the solution. It's the simple idea that there is more to life than this life. There's more to life than this life. So the Bible uses this motivation for, for legacy. It uses it for, for generosity. It uses it to help us have compassion on people. Are you ready? Here's what it is. The motivation is simply heaven. It's heaven. Over and over and over again, heaven is the reason. It's the reason for why we do what we do. God's kingdom fully to bear. God's will done at all times, everywhere. That's what's coming. And we want for as many people as possible to be able to experience that reality. It's why you're sitting with some extra empty seats because we chose to go to two services because we were full. And so we went to two services so that we could have these empty seats so that over time they can be filled so that people can experience this reality the love of Jesus in their lives and their hearts. I've been a pastor for about 17 years. And in those 17 years, I have seen a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you know this, but people deal with a lot of stuff. Have you figured this out by now? It's like not even funny. Yes, shut it. People have, have they've got a lot of stuff that happens. You know, I've walked with people through the really great stuff of life, highest highs and joys and things that happen, but also walked with people through really difficult and tragic and horrific things. You know, uh, people losing a child or um, a family experiencing an actual murder or, um, you know, just someone tragically losing a loved one in an accident, whatever it is, these really low lows. And many of you have experienced that sting, that pain of somebody being lost. But for those of us who are believers, it's actually a different story. It stings, it hurts, but we realize that as believers, we have what the Bible calls the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. We have a joy resident inside of us because we know that we actually have the opportunity to see that person again. We know that if we went and talked to that person and we're like, hey man, we miss you, you should come home, they're gonna say, uh-uh, no way, man. It's rough down there. I'm staying up here because it's awesome. I'm staying right here. Everybody, there is nothing like this hope of heaven. And when you have it, 
It changes everything here on the earth. In fact, it changes how you view the earth. Studies will say that 96% of people believe that there is some kind of afterlife. Some kind of afterlife. The, the reason is because we read it last week in Ecclesiastes 3.11. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. He put eternity in your heart, and so you don't have any choice but to think about it, to think about what's coming. Eternity is in there. So it makes sense that Jesus and the Bible authors, that they would use and talk about heaven and eternity and use it for a motivator to help us look ahead. So here we go. Let's check it out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Here it is. Command those who are rich in this present world, already signifying that there's something else that's coming in this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's good and he loves you. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. I think another translation says, for the real age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen, everybody, there's a life that exists beyond this life. And that's the one that you and I really want to invest everything into. I want to be really direct with you. I want, I, I, want you to, I want you to hear this. I want to be blunt with you about this message because I want you to get it. I want you to understand that, that you need to, I need to. We've got to direct our lives towards this idea and towards eternity. So let's talk about why. Why do we do it? Why is it such a big deal? How do we do this? Well, it's such a big deal because heaven is my home, not earth. Right? He, heaven, is, heaven is my home. I'm, I'm headed there. The earth is not my home. I don't really live here. I'm just passing through. So since that's true, some of the best pastoral advice that I think I can give you is just hang on, man. <laughs> just stay steady. Like, don't freak out. Don't get too worked up. Don't try to do anything rash. Like, just hang on and stay steady because this thing, this life, that thing that you're dealing with, that overwhelming circumstance that you feel like is never gonna, it's never gonna leave, it's never gonna be taken care of, it'll never be fixed, it'll never be healed. Listen, all of it is temporary. Every little bit of it is temporary. So stay steady. Everything that you're going through will pass away. This isn't your home. Here it is, John 14, one through three. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. That's good advice, everybody. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So the disciples in this passage, they're coming to Jesus, and they're depressed. They're discouraged. They're having the Last Supper, and Judas has betrayed him, and Jesus is saying he's going to leave. And so the disciples are understandably a little bummed out. They're discouraged. They're distressed. They're depressed. And Jesus is saying, look, guys... I know that you're bummed out. I know that life stinks sometimes, but hey, don't let this get you down. Okay, Jesus, thanks. I really appreciate that. Now, if it was us and we were in the middle of the story, we'd probably say something like, come on, bring it in. Let's have a hug. Come on, let's hug it out. It's gonna be okay. Give you a hug. Let me pray for you. I'm gonna get you a miracle right now. Come on, let's do it. That's what we would do. That's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He says, don't be depressed. Thanks. Super helpful. Don't be discouraged. Okay, I'll stop. In my father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
Whenever the disciples came to Jesus with this earth problem, he ended up giving them a, an eternal solution. An eternal solution. Realizing that the reality is, is that what you're looking for, the answers that you're looking for, they're not actually here. The real solutions are there. The real solutions to everything that you're facing in life, it's outside of this world. It's there. He does intervene on earth. There are solutions that come to our lives here. But the Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 18. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Did you hear it? Did you see who's describing as enemies of the cross? He's saying it's the people whose God is their stomach. Mm. It's nice. Their God is their stomach. Their ever-increasing 42-year-old stomach. Thank God. Is it lunchtime yet? He's saying it's these people who are about indulgence, who are about enjoyment, who are just living their lives for their own fulfillment right here on the earth. The reason they're enemies of the cross of Jesus is because their mind is on the earthly stuff. Their mind's on the earthly stuff, so they become enemies of the cross and what Jesus is. But then he says to those believers in Philippi, and then to you and me as well, in verse 20, but our citizenship, the place where we live, the place where we really reside, it's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, I know that many of us are discouraged with our government. You turn on the news, you get one cycle, for crying out loud, you get one story, and you're like, oh, Jesus, help us. Oh, God, what are we going to do? Oh, God, are we even going to make it? Listen, I need to remind you this morning, this afternoon, that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We serve the one who has his government that rests solely upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom, there will not be an end. So you don't have to get so wrapped up in what's happening here because it's temporary. There is a king, and he sits solidly on his throne, and it's going to be okay. Don't get too wrapped up about this government here. Think about the government that's coming. Don't lose sight of the real government, everybody. Second reason we need to focus our attention towards eternity is that the line is longer than the dot. I'm sorry, what? The line is longer than the dot. Here it is in Hebrews 11:14 in the message version. It says, people who live this way, they make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they would have gone back anytime they wanted but they were after a far better country than that heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city that's waiting for them. There's a book called The Treasure of Principles written by a man named Randy Alcorn, and he talks about this idea. And here, here it is. I've got a simple illustration for you. He says simply that your life is the dot. It's attractive. That's a nice life you got there. It's this dot right here. It's encompassed. There's a beginning and an end, like it's enclosed. That's all it is. But there is a line that extends from your life, and that line is a timeline, and it extends well on into eternity, and it keeps going and will keep going, and it will never stop going. The problem is, is that most of us, we live our lives for that dot. My paycheck, my finances, my house, my job, my car, all the stuff of life, my clothes, everything that we worry about, all these circumstances of life, they reside in that dot. And so we put all of our focus, all of our attention, everything that we've got on the dot. And what he's saying is, don't live for the dot, live for the line. Live for the line, live for eternity, live for what's coming. Don't invest everything in there. That's gonna end, that's finite, it's finished. Instead, start living towards the line. You take all of your treasure, you take everything that you value and you start investing it towards heaven, towards eternity, towards life, towards God. You invest it all in there, what happens? 
your heart begins to be drawn to that place. It gets drawn towards that. As it is, we throw it all on the dot. And so our hearts, our lives, our passions, our devotion, it's all drawn in towards the dot, towards the life. Saying, get your eyes up off of that. Don't live for the dot. Live for the line. Invest everything that you can in the line. When you think about it, everybody, it just makes sense. Pour everything that you've got into the line. One of the reasons people don't do it, though, is because they think heaven is boring. They think earth is better. Think about it. Come on. You've thought it before. I don't know if I want to go. I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't want to go to the other place. I know that much, but I'm not so sure about heaven. I mean, look what we got here. I mean, on the earth, we got, we got tacos, man. Like, why, why would I want to leave the tacos? You know, it's, it's amazing. I, I got all my stuff here. I, I like it here. Heaven, I, I mean, it sounds nice, but I'm not so sure I want to be a fat cherub sitting on a cloud playing a harp and singing in the choir. Like, that doesn't sound that fun to me. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is God's will done all the time. It's the kingdom of God fully come to bear. It's righteousness. It's justice. It's holiness. It's everything that we want. It's full on love. It's everything. Nobody's sick. Nobody gets old. Come on, somebody. Wow. That's the best thing I've said all day, apparently. Nobody gets old. Nobody gets sick. Nobody dies. There are no doctors in heaven. Well, there are doctors, but they're not practicing doctors. Right? There are no practicing doctors in heaven. There are no lawyers in heaven. I'm sorry. If you're in the law profession, we love you. You're incredible. Don't sue me. Um, we really are thankful for you. And, okay. Really. I'm not just saying that. Really. Okay. Um, no, seriously. All right, I'm done. Um, that's not heaven, man. In heaven, the scripture says that the lion and the lamb, they lay down together. Like, even the lion gives up his carnivorous, it's his peace everywhere. In heaven, it's going to be incredible. The weather is perfect all the time. The Krispy Kreme light is always on. The queso, it flows like rivers. And, and the longhorns, they actually win games regularly. Like, it's amazing. Oh, sorry, that was a guy right here. They're like, oh, it's not. It's going to be an amazing place. We need to start looking for it. I have to go faster. The third reason that we need to focus our affection towards eternity there is limited time and incredible opportunity. Limited time and incredible opportunity. Everybody on earth has limited time to deal with. There's nothing we can do about it. But not everybody has limited opportunity. The fact that we live in America means we have some pretty great opportunity. Really incredible opportunity for us. And the older I get, the more I start to realize the reality of the limited time. You know, I'm, I'm 42. I'm probably sitting somewhere towards the middle. Somewhere towards the middle. I'm getting close to the middle of the life that I've lived and the life that I still have left to live. I've been a pastor for 17 years. And in those 17 years, you know, I, I probably have more years of ministry ahead of me still, thank God, than I do behind me. And so up until now, I've just been thinking about building. Build a big student ministry in, in Colorado. Uh, build one chapel. Build, um, well, Jesus builds the church, but, you know, we're trying to do everything that we can to help. Um, Help out and build one chapel kind like I'm building, 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 building. But I can see it. I see it on the horizon. It's coming. I can start my, my mind. It's just, it's just beginning, just starting to trickle into my brain and start thinking about how am I going to finish, finish, finish. Like it's in there. And some of you know exactly what that's like because you've been thinking it. Some of you have been thinking it for a while. It's the same thing for you. Limited time, but incredible opportunities. Incredible opportunities in the world that we live in. Ephesians 5, 15 says... Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days 
are evil. Like just take advantage of every opportunity that you have. In London, there's this place that's called Churchill's Bunker, and it's a museum now, but it was a wartime bunker where Churchill and the guys would, and his staff, they would hunker down and they'd kind of navigate during World War II. And it's full of secrets and strategies and plans. And in that bunker, there was a poster. Churchill put a poster up, and it looks just like this. It says, self-indulgence at this time is helping the enemy. And what Churchill wanted to do was he wanted to inspire and motivate people to get out of the status quo, to get out of their lives, to realize that they had the opportunity to stamp out Nazism. And it could happen in their generation, and no one else was coming to do it, but they could move and do it. It's an incredible, practical idea. Self-indulgence. If I indulge myself at this time, it's helping them. Instead, I'm going to act. I'm going to take every opportunity. I'm going to move. It's an incredible spiritual principle as well, everybody. Self-indulgence is not the life that we want to live currently. We want to invest everything that we can into the coming kingdom. The fourth reason that we, re that we refocus towards eternity is because <laughs> it's smart. <laughs> it is. It's smart. It is the wise thing to do. You are wise if you do it. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, 19. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. But store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. If you've ever invested in the stock market, like this makes sense to you, doesn't it? It makes sense because Jesus, what he's talking about essentially, I don't want to put it too crudely, but he's talking about investments. He's saying you need to make sure that you're allocating a portion of your portfolio into the place where you're going to get the best return. You're going to get the best return out of investing in eternity. So check out the next verse, because you'd think he would say, and it's because I said so. All right? That's the way that we would handle it. He doesn't handle it that way. He says in verse 21, because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He's saying, if you ever wanted to know me more, if you ever wanted more of me, if you wanted more devotion and to know more about me and who I am, here's the secret. Just take your treasure and put it towards me. You take your treasure and you put it towards me and you will have no choice. Your heart will be drawn towards it. That's what we're talking about today. Listen, it's like when, when you invest in some stock, you care very much about what that stock does. You're not so concerned about the other stuff. The other stuff, that's fine. I'll, I'll pay attention to what's happening in the market, but I want to know what's happening on this one stock. Your heart is drawn to it. It's the exact same thing with this. Your heart, your passion, your fulfillment, your desire, everything that you have is wrapped up in where you put your investment. That's why we start investing towards the line and the things that are eternal, not just the things that are temporary. So, of course, the question for us just becomes simply, that sounds good, man. I want to do that. How? Let's spend the next few moments that we have together. We'll go through it quickly. Let's talk about how. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, here's what it says. And he told them, Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He already made a mistake here, thinking that it was his and all about him. My crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. He assumed everything's going to be great for a long time. Take life easy. Man, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. 
And by the way, when I read this passage, I don't think it's the, but God said to him, you fool. I don't think it's that. I think that God loves us and he cares about the decisions that we make. So I think he says, oh, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not, here it is, rich toward God. Is not rich in giving everything towards God and his kingdom in eternity. So how can we be rich towards God? How can we, to put it crudely, build up a heavenly portfolio? The first thing is, I give myself to God. I know it's simple. It's a simple idea. Not so simple to do, though. I give myself to God. You know, Jesus is not looking for your stuff. Jesus isn't asking for your stuff. He's not coming to you saying, would you give me? What he's saying is, no, I don't, I don't need your stuff. What I want is you. I want you. I want all of you. Like, I want you to give me yourself. I gave you everything. I gave my life on a cross. I gave it to you. I just want you to give yours back to me and watch what I do with it. Because he knows that once he gets your life, then all the other stuff takes care of itself. You don't have to worry about it anymore. We're not worried about who gets this or what gets that. It all goes to him. He gets it all. Robert Harris is an English novelist and a former BBC reporter. He said, this truth, if one first give himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. It just settles the issue. It's such a big idea. I think it's such a big deal because we, we're so good at holding on. I just want to hold on to my stuff. I don't want to give it up. I don't, I don't want to release it. I, I want all of it. I want to keep all the stuff of earth. I like my tacos. Leave them to me. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Here it comes, everybody. You ready? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And it was a hefty price too. Therefore, honor God with your body. So you and I, we need to give ourselves away. We need to say every day, I'm just gonna give myself to you. In fact, I would encourage you, just wake up every morning and you just pray the prayer. You wake up and say, God, I give myself over to you. You wake up, stretch, hit your knees and pray. God, I give myself to you. I don't think it's a one-time decision. I think that we get tempted. I think we want to hold it back. I think we want to grab things and grab parts of our lives for ourselves and hold them back. Every morning we get up and say, God, I give myself completely to you. And you started the journey. The second thing is that you act like a steward and not an owner. Act like a steward and not an owner. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. He has it all. It's not yours. It's not mine. Since that's true, we manage it. We just manage the stuff on God's behalf. He allows us to partner with him and we get to manage. I manage everything in my life because he owns it all. It doesn't even belong to me. So our continual prayer, along with that other prayer, our continual prayer has to be, Lord, what would you have me to do? Wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, I give myself completely to you. Now, what would you have me to do today? Everybody, if we would sincerely pray those prayers every morning, things would begin to change around here. Undeniably. So remember this, Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We sing the song all the time. It's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out your praise. He is the reason that you have anything at all. And so I don't have any problem with giving it all back to him. It all belongs to him anyway. Almost done. Number three, how do we build up our he heavenly portfolio? We view everything through the lens of eternity. 
You just switch the way that you think of things. You switch the way that you view things. When I go, I got to go up to Falltober at the end of the afternoon here. So I'm going to go and probably drive through and get some healthy food and continue to expand this portion of my body. But I'm going to go and I'm going to sit at that drive through and I look at the staff working in the kitchen. I'm going to think about eternity. And there are souls in that room and they matter and God loves them. When I go to Falltober, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to see new people that are coming to check out One Chapel Lake Travis. And I'm going to look around and I'm going to say, ooh, they matter. That soul matters. That person, look at that family. God loves them. God cares for them. They matter. I'm viewing them through the lens of eternity. I'm going to view my life like I know I'm just passing through here. I'm just an alien here. I don't belong here. Matthew, sorry, Hebrews 11:25 says, He, Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses could have stayed in Egypt. He could have been a prince of Egypt. He could have had treasures and riches, but he didn't. He gave all of it away because he recognized that there was something else. Eternity was a greater treasure and had greater value. And the fourth and final thing, the the final way that we kind of turn our attention towards investing in eternity is be intentional. Womp womp. I know. Great point. I know. Wow. Wow. Stellar. You worked on that one a while, didn't you? I know it's a simple idea, but I still, I, I don't think we're always great at it. We have to be intentional. You know, all through the years of teaching high school and junior high kids, I would tell them about an idea that you need to make pre decision decisions. We would always talk about that one day there will come a moment when you will be at home with your significant other and the house will be empty and everyone will be gone and you will be thinking, oh my Lord. Oh, it just got real in here. I was like, oh, where's he going? <laughs> I'm getting really nervous. There'll be that, that moment will happen and you'll be together and you have to make a decision now. What are you going to do? So am I going to cross the line? Am I going to do something that I shouldn't? Am I going to go too far? Am I going to do something that is only reserved for marriage? What am I going to do? You can't make the decision when you're in that moment. It's too late. You have to make the decision way over here before you have any temptation, before you have anything else going on. You make what we call a pre-decision decision. I don't wait till here. I make my decision now. And it's that thing that I'm encouraging all of us to do. To just make a pre-decision decision. I'm just going to decide now. I'm going to live my life for eternity. I'm going to switch my viewpoint. I'm going to view my life through the lens of eternity. I'm going to be intentional about the way that I live my life, and I'm going to give everything to him. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, in the message version says, this is so much fun. It says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. I want you to do that. I want you to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. <laughs> Isn't that great? God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God loves it when the the giver delights in the giving. I want you to have that opportunity to experience that kind of life, to decide how I'm going to give and how much of my life I'm going to give. I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about your life, everything, your talent, your gifts, your skills, your thoughts, your your passions, everything that you have. You give them away. I'm just going to decide how I'm going to do that, and I'm going to decide it early. In December, we are going to take this legacy offering On December 10th, we're going to take one offering here during the holidays that's for the purpose of helping our church to take the next big step into the vision that God has given to us. We have lots of vision and lots of things that we want to do. And so, of course, all of that takes resource. And we want to be able to take that massive step forward. And so I just want you to know now, we're going to take that offering. It's about six weeks from now. And I want you to decide what you're going to give. Look, I'm not going to pressure you. 
I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to work hard at this. We're not going to craft some moments. We're going to tell you some stories about what God is doing, but I'm not going to show sad videos and make you weep and cry and say, okay, I'll do it. I'm not going to do any of that. That's not going to happen. I, this, is all, this is all I want you to do. That offering is coming on December 10th. I just want all of us, me included, to pray and ask God what he wants us to give and then do it. Whatever number that is, we just say, we'll, we're in. We'll do it. We'll be obedient. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what he tells you to do. And there's several things that we can do here together. Look, you already know, we have a massive vision to plant 10 communities in the next 10 years. We have three already. We've got, I don't know, about seven years or so left. So we've got a good start, but it's time to get going. And the temptation is for us to go, yeah, I, Austin, they sent out Kyle. We, we kind of came out of Austin. That was cool. Um, they sent out Lake Travis. That was really fun. Good on them. I appreciate that. Now, when are they going to do the next one? People ask that. So when's the next campus? So when's the next community? When's it happening? When are you going to do it? What's going on? What's the secret? What's, what's behind? What's, what's the news? Right? <laughs> Just like that, too. That's what they do. I'm like, I'm like, well, stop doing that, and I'll talk to you. Um, and people want to know. And, and, and re- recently, it's just hit me really hard. And I've, I've thought, oh, that's the wrong question to ask. The question has to become, when are we going to plant a community? <laughs> when are we, if that we wasn't clear, when are we going to plant that community in San Marcos? Or some other, when, when are we going to do that? Do you have vision for that? Do you have vision that we could plant another God-fearing, Christ-centered community in another city and see heaven come and kingdom come there too? I do. We, we here, we, we, we need to have our own building. We should have our own building, everybody. I love Evo. It's the greatest. I love theaters. You're sitting here in these great seats, the greatest seats of any church I've ever sat in in any of my life. And I've been in church for 42 years. So any, I mean, absolutely great. I mean, when we buy the next building, we'll get these kind of seats. It'll be awesome. And they won't have popcorn on them or drinks. Uh, well, I can't guarantee. But um, actually, do you know that there, there are Team One members who every Sunday morning come in here and take Clorox wipes and wipe down every single chair that you sit in? Isn't that cool? It's a great team. Anyway, uh, we need to have our own building. Why? Because one of our core values is, is that we would be rooted, that one child would be rooted in the community. They would actually take deep roots into the soil of Kyle. And that we would make a difference here. Be plugged into neighborhoods. Be plugged into schools. That's what we need to do. I can see us having a location where it's not just a Sunday gathering, but instead there's ministry that's happening there all day long, seven days a week. There's after school programs and there's feeding programs. and There's all kinds of stuff that's coming out of there. Helping people with their finances. I don't know all of it, but I know that there's a lot more that can be done. And we can't be in here because they show movies. So we need to be rooted. Rooted in our community. That's something that we need to do. It's good for you to know that um, towards church planning, One Chapel, we set aside 2% of our income all year long to put away towards planning churches. It's good for you to be aware of that. We also partner with 30 local organizations in the Austin area, so we meet the needs of people. And we actually already, we put away 10% of the income. Your tithes and offerings, we put away 10% solely towards that end. There's other stuff that we give, but, but solely towards those types of organizations and missions around the world. We, we put away 10% so that we can make a difference, but we can do more than we're doing now. I would love to take an elementary school in our region and take those teachers. I don't know if you know this, but teachers are underappreciated, underpaid, under, I mean, they, they don't have everything that they need. And we could be a great blessing to some elementary school teachers and bless them and, and help them and give them some, just a financial blessing, each one in that school, so they could take care of the stuff in their classroom, so they could buy some stuff that they need to buy, so that maybe they could take a vacation once or in a while. 
Like we could do that kind of stuff. If we just say, yes, God, how much do you want me to give? And I'll give it. We've got a lot of vision, a lot of stuff that we could do together. All we have to do is say yes. And are we willing to make the investment into eternity instead of worrying so much about what's here?